you have to know that it can change your life. Going to specifically this ecosystem. If you are that kind of person, it'll touch your soul. Welcome back to the Voices of Greater Yellowstone podcast, where we share the stories and science of the remarkable Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. I'm your host, Kristen Kuhn. Spring is beginning to make its erratic appearance here in Greater Yellowstone, which often means warm, sunny mornings, followed by a brief snowstorm in the afternoon. I hope that wherever you are, spring and sunshine finds you. As Aristotle once said, the aim of art is to represent not the outward appearance of things, but their inward significance. It is no secret that the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem inspires countless artists using every medium imaginable to create masterpieces depicting what this landscape means to them. Producer Emmy Reed and I recently sat down with artist DG House at her studio in Bozeman, Montana. DG is a contemporary indigenous painter and photographer who is best known for her boldly colored and beautifully rendered paintings of iconic Yellowstone wildlife. She is an artist in residence within both Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. In the colorful front room of her studio, surrounded by houseplants and stacks of books, we discussed the role of art in our ecosystem, artists as conduits for bringing the natural world to others, and learn how ice hockey played a role in how her name came to be. All right, let's meet artist extraordinaire DG House. Well, my name is DG House, and at some point we can discuss why it's DG House. Um, I'm a, you know, the way that you get described by other people, um, contemporary Native American wildlife artist is usually what people say. Here's how, here's how I think my job is. This is what I think it is. To represent the wildlife and wildlands that don't have the predominant voice. But also, I'm also here to remind you of how you feel when you're in the natural world. That's my job as far as I'm concerned. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that resonates so it deeply. It actually makes me emotional. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want this job? Right. Well, what a beautiful role to play in your community. I, I feel incredibly fortunate. I did have a career before I got to Bozeman, but I want people to know that my entire art career, it all happened here. Ah, that's so interesting. So tell us a little bit about that. What? Tell us about your journey. How did you okay. find yourself as it's a working artist in Bozeman? I, you know, people are going to relate to this so much. Six years of college, no degree. Because, you know, squirrel, there'd be a new subject. And it usually had to do with Yellowstone. You know, here I'm over in geology, then I'm over in wildlife biology. And the whole time I'm in Cincinnati and in Dayton, Ohio. But I saw a poster when I was in college that said, spend your summer in Yellowstone. Pre-internet, you know, everything snail mail. So I applied, I came back, I got the job. I hadn't been further west I think I went to Colorado once, but I had never been in the Northwest. And I got in a Pinto station wagon hmm. with a duffel bag and my John Denver cassette tapes. And I went to Yellowstone. It's just, just hard for people nowadays to picture. The only people in the park, because remember, it wasn't open in the winter, mm -hmm. were some rangers and the six of us that were going to open up Mammoth Hot Springs, all the hotels. So... For six weeks, we were there virtually alone. And any time they'd open a road, even though it wasn't open to the public, they let us go. So I saw, imagine seeing Old Faithful with three other people. I can't. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. But I got to do hikes and see things um, in ones and twos and fives of people, I don't know how you can replace that experience. So here's what I'm doing. I'm going to college. I'm taking photos, um, mostly of ice hockey, but also uh, the Reds and the Bengals, because I'm in Cincinnati and and it's so funny. Um, my dad would take the pictures around and we had a connection at the paper and they started to, you know, take notice of what I was doing. And my dad had a black, um, a dark room at work. And then I went to a high school where you could major in art. 
Oh, wow. Can you even imagine that? So by the time I, I uh, they closed when I was after my junior year, but I already had photography, anatomical drawing, ceramics, jewelry making, all of that before I graduated high school. So I took that. <laughs> this is so funny. Then I thought I was going to be a doctor because that was next in this long string of what I was going to be. So I had to get A's, straight A's, and I took a journalism course, and they said, if you can get a contract to get something published, you got an A. And I thought, what am I going to talk about? And I thought, well, hockey in Ohio. Why? I have no idea, but I got it. And I started taking photos, and then I started working with the local hockey team, and then I got a job with Hockey Weekly, and then the Rangers were my beat. So... (laughs) Oh my goodness. Did you play hockey yourself? Where did that interest no. come from? It just, you just, just loved it. Okay. I, I, I don't know the excitement. Um, remember no digital, no, uh, autofocus. Mm-hmm. Think of this and you're shooting one of the fastest games that, that are played. And you know, I'm this tiny little hundred pound, uh, 19, 20 year old or whatever I was, um, early 20s, I think, um, following this hockey team around. And, of course, I I took, um, uh, well, how do we want to say it? <laughs> Some abuse mm. um, doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's also the reason my name is DG House, as it was DG Pointer, because they didn't want Princess Di, Diana Gerilyn, credit on sports photos in those days. So... I became DG. I am DG, and I married Dan House, so I'm DG House. So that's that's why. But I I've turned into a Deej. A Deej. That's what I am. Deej. Okay, so that was an attempt to sort of um, unfeminize your name when it was published next to your sports photography. Yes. So from there, I I shot some stuff for MTV, rock and roll stuff. But every summer, I came here. And either worked as an employee, a writer, a photographer, something. In 88, I moved full-time to Bozeman. In 88, okay. Do you think that your foundation and having that arts education in high school and then your experience as a photographer impacted the way you first even saw the Yellowstone region when you arrived here? Did you bring that artist's eye with you? I think that there is the ability to see beauty and sometimes that beauty is a cruel beauty of the environment we're talking about, but seeing that for what it is and the place that it holds and needs to continue to hold, yes, I absolutely do. It's a combination of that and the fact that my parents took us camping. Right. And we went to the state parks and we hiked in the state parks and we fished there. That was the other part of the foundation. If you don't, you know, I, I tell people all the time, they'll say to me, well, yeah, you, well, you're in Yellowstone. It doesn't have to be that that grand. It can be a, a garden on your patio. It can be your yard. It could be city park, state park. You can get out there and appreciate and teach yourself, you know, to appreciate. You're, you don't have to be the center of the universe because yeah. we're not. Right. Yellowstone is magnificent, but it doesn't take Yellowstone to form that kind of connection. Exactly what I'm saying. In so many places. I'll tell you one experience I had when I, I'm very fortunate because I'm part of the um, Pathways program and other things I have been in Yellowstone. So the best way to put it is I'm one of the artists in residence in Yellowstone and I'm also in um, Grand Teton. One of them for, what, I think 25 years, and the other one for like 15 or 20. So like rangers and other people that work there, I've got my share of interactions. And one of them was when I was at the Old Faithful Inn working, and a man comes up, and uh, he said to me, um, my wife has a question, and she was terribly shy. And, and he was egging her on, and I was already uncomfortable. And, and I, said, well, I said, come and sit next to me. And she did. I said, what do you want to know? And she said, I just want to know how you get a ticket to go see Old Faithful. And he starts laughing. 
So I pulled her in closer to me and I said, I have got such a great story for you. You already paid your entry fee. You don't have to wait in line. Mm. You don't have to. And I explained the whole thing to her. And I, of course, completely ignored him. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and we had a wonderful time. And here's the deal. That woman stayed in touch with me up until the, the when she passed away a few months ago from that one interaction. Well, you did a very a very kind thing. It sounds like her partner might have been using an opportunity to make a bit of a fool of her yes, and you yeah. framed it in an incredibly positive way and used it as an I thought, opening. When I think of um I remember I I, I do want to say this. I am totally aware that there are people standing around me in these situations that have waited their whole life to be there or saved. I've also dealt with people that are to the penny on a budget, all kinds of situations. I, I, I know this is hard to believe, but I never get mad at somebody driving slow. Are you kidding? Yeah. If I'm late, that's my fault. I know what the traffic is, you know? Um, never. I'm telling you that. I, um, I get worried when I see somebody in danger. I do worry that. Certainly. And I and I will say something. Right. For their safety. Right. I'm not interested in screaming at anybody, but I will say something. Um, but I am aware, I am respectful that this is, this, it, unless you come, you, you have to know that it can change your life. Going to, to specifically this ecosystem. It, if you are that, kind of person it'll touch your soul yeah but how how incredible to have retained as it sounds like you clearly have that sense of how special and unique and um charged this landscape is because sometimes I think you know when you live in a place like this and you're surrounded by so much beauty as you know we are here in southwestern Montana and then in Yellowstone you have to learn how to keep seeing it I wish I could I share that with everybody. I'm just telling you the truth. I have never once walked outside, looked at the mountain, gone to the park, whatever it is, and thought, oh, here you are again. Yeah. Ever. This again. <laughs> never. Yeah. I, I must have the brain of a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, a gift. Because <laughs> it's all a joy to me. Yeah. Every single time, this is a, a dynamic environment. It's changing. You can't just go to Yellowstone once. Right. It'll never be the same. Right. Do you think that your skills as an artist help you see the world that way? Or do you think there's something about your brain that sees beauty in that way and so art followed? This is That is such a great question. I have figured out at this point in my career that I paint like a photographer. And what I mean by that is the same moment you would hit a shutter, I paint that moment. It's the flick of a paw, it's the look in an eye, a glint in an eye. It took me years to real to realize that. So when I see the world, I see it in shape and color. And I see tiny little things. It, I, I recognize that bird. I, I, I can see that fish just came up and went down. I I see this bit. I don't know if everybody else does that. Um, I can tell you they do not. <laughs> really? No? Yeah. You're paying attention. And this, I think that's where. I never feel more. It sounds selfish, but I never feel more myself than when I'm immersed in that environment. Yeah. That's when I'm my true self. Lucky me. Lucky you. Lucky us for, for then being able to um, bear witness to the results. <laughs> so tell, tell us a little bit about your transition then from photographer, I assume you are yeah. still a photographer, to a painter. How, how did painting Well, it's in interesting. You? Um, he, you know, he's a wonderful guy, and he might not know he paid such a, a big part. But um, first of all, my husband so supportive. There were three kids at home. I'm 35 and I need to do more. I've already, when you've worked with cameras that aren't digital, it's not that it's different now, you still have to be an artist to make a great photo, but I had already done every hair on everything, you know, on a grizzly bear, on a rock star, on a hockey 
hockey player, you know, I knew how to do that, but I needed to say more. I also had never worked in my own culture. Um, and the way I, I thought to do that is lucky me having been trained, um, no degree, but been trained <laughs> as an artist. Um, I thought that's what, that's it. I need to paint. And the Emerson had rooms at the time. They were so affordable. And the room, you know, I know you all can't see it, but we're sitting in a room that's the same size as my first studio. <laughs> and now it's my entry hall. How lucky am I? Um, it was $50 a month, and it came out of the food budget. So you better believe I hit the ground running yeah. when I started. And then one day, Kevin Redstar walks in, and I'm trying to make the money by listen to this I was painting clay pots with native with with the animals on them hand painting it to get the bread and butter money to keep that studio open and he said something to me along the lines oh how long are you gonna wait are you gonna wait till you're 40 you're gonna wait till you're 60 when are you gonna make the leap that you really want to make and that was the last pot I ever painted so that day. somehow he could see that that was not. Yeah, we were talking about it and okay. he heard me. So uh, I'm not saying it was easy. I mean, I, I do want artists to hear me when I say I grossed a thousand dollars the first year and I was the happiest gal in the world. But you could gross a thousand then, <laughs> you know, and still make it. Um, there'll be an equivalent amount now for people that <laughs> that are starting. So. It was the people of Bozeman that accepted me. I Just last night I was talking to an artist that can't say it yet. And it, I, I did the same thing for two or three years. What do you do? Well, uh, it, it, it took me two or three years to say I'm an artist. Yeah. Because that's in your head. The world's ready. That's inside you. Right. Isn't quite ready it's hard it's a hard identity to claim because it does feel vulnerable and it, it does. does feel like there's some risk involved and I think when a creative person or a latent artist you know goes to say the words I am an artist it can be hard not to hear all the voices inside your head saying really though tell us a little bit about your work because we are talking in the podcast medium right now help people visualize right. the type of work that you are now known for. That's why art, fashion, music is fascinating. The different, the better, you know, as far as I'm concerned. So when I started, um, there's not a darn thing wrong with uh, realism and art at all, but I just did that. And, and now I want to talk about the soul of things and the emotion of things and boy, I'm not sure I, I could have even expressed it back then. You know, I'm talking to you decades, you know, later. But the most magical thing happened. A man walked by me as I was selling my little art, sitting there at my little table, um, still feeling vulnerable, right? And he said, you should only paint in colors that appear in Yellowstone. And he kept walking. I, I would argue maybe an angel. I don't know. <laughs> but, and everything changed in that moment. I figured out what the earthen paint uh, palette would be for the Yellowstone ecosystem. I'm not painting an earthen paint. I just, I just figured out the hues of these paints. I, I paint in acrylic and oils and all that. And that's where that color palette came from that you see on all my work. That's why it all matches, so to speak. All those colors, somewhere in your soul, you know, appears in this ecosystem. Art is of place. This is not the color palette of the Southwest that I paint in. I paint where we are here. So that's what I decided to do is to use color as the story. Um, you know, looking back on it, I'm not sure what I was aware of at the moment, you know, in the moment. Um, but... I painted bears all these colors, and when I hit that blue, and what's fascinating is that's one of the blues that your art teacher, your professor would tell you never to use, is the exact blue that all my bears are. <laughs> that gives me a little bit of joy, a little bit of rebel joy. Um, and then I started experimenting. I saw um, big, huge moose behind Jackson Lake Lodge, and in the moonlight he was purple. 
so I paint a lot of purple mousse. Um, I'm trying to paint the emotion as a human that I feel when I'm in the presence of that particular species. That's what those color choices are about, you know? That's beautiful. How do you feel that your identity as a Cherokee woman also informs your approach to art? Well, I'll tell you, that's so cellular. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it couldn't. Right. I mean, there's a story for all of us with that, right? If you're, you know, you're a Midwest girl or, or, or you emigrated here and, and now this is your home in that part. All of us have something like that. But, f- but for me, I, I don't know how you could ever separate it. I can't even identify it in the work, but I can see it, and I, I can tell it. Even I can tell it's uh, indigenous. I can tell it, but you know, I, I guess I'll leave that to the critics to figure out. You know, because it's just too ingrained. Yeah, in how I see the world, and um, I, you know, there's genetic memory too, as far as I'm concerned. So some of it you can't place. It's just who you are. So I, that's how I would answer that. So perhaps it's it's so ingrained as part of your process that it is nearly invisible. But then if you look back at your work, if you step aside from it and look, you say, oh, there I it is. That. There it is. It's exactly. There I am. It's exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can tell, you know, when I'm in a um, an all native show or whatever, it just is part of the big picture. Right. And of course, you also you have to understand when I started 22, I think it was more than that, like 25 years ago, I was so different in this town that you wouldn't believe the things people <laughs> felt they could say to me. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know there were blue bears. Um, uh, one artist came and said, what, do you do this for fun or something? I mean, I, I want people to hear this, too, that are up and coming. Um, you know what you do? You just keep going. Yeah. What is, what, how do you make it? You don't quit. You know, but what happened is, this is just who I am. I am not making something up. I'm not trying to be in this category or that. And then the art market and what I do crossed. And it was, who would have known? So the art market went towards the kind of art that there's always room for everybody. So don't get me wrong, but the but the market then became this contemporary um, when it came to wild wildlands and and wildlife, and so that and hard work and, and lots of help from established artists and and then it worked, but it wasn't easy in the beginning. Certainly not. I it sounds like though by being true to your vision and your work you you gave yourself the opportunity for that moment to happen yes and we're not talking weeks you're right talking years right so whatever you're out there making the decision is yours and if you decide you really want it then you don't quit it don't who cares what anybody else is saying unless it's good (laughs) (laughs) and then soak it in (laughs) say all you want (laughs) don't let anyone take your dream no one i don't care who they are yeah so tell us a little bit about um, the journey of a piece of art. So a, a painting, if you okay. will, like the moment of inspiration to the moment of, I guess, completion. Okay, if, right. If there are defined moments for each of those, but kind of what does the process look like for you? So with, this is my 42nd year in Yellowstone working as in some capacity. Imagine what I have seen. I am not the only one. You meet thousands of people with these experiences. But imagine what I've seen and what I've experienced. So every painting is a real story. There really was this flick of the paw. There really was. One time, I'm running late. And so I'm driving at 3.34 in the morning. I'm at the marker that says Old Faithful One Mile. Anyone that's been there knows exactly where I'm at. Nobody coming behind me, no one in the other direction. The, the trees are so thick there that you can only see one or two feet in. A grizzly was, walks out. I, I, I stop, of course, walks into the middle of the road, sits down, looks me in the eye, 
continues walking. Two feet on the other side, he was gone. I couldn't even see him. If I had been 30 seconds later, a minute before, it wouldn't have happened. That is the grizzly that I painted. Here in Bozeman, we've got these utility boxes that are, you know, have art on them. And, and I was one of the original 12. And so if you come here and you see that blue bear wrapped around that utility box, it's that bear. And that's how he sat in front of me. So it's all, it's all real. My interpretation, my color choices in that are mine. But the actual experience, every one of these has actually happened. Wow. So each of your paintings yeah, starts everyone. with a story, an encounter, if you mm-hmm. will. So I go, th- I go through my memory. Um, I don't know when people listen to this, but right now I'm, I'm working on something for Old Faithful exhibition at the Old Faithful Inn. So um, this morning I was going through canvases, memories, and my own photos to just, it's one of the things um, that I just personally do. I make sure there's a representation of just about as many like to call them creatures living in Yellowstone. It's amazing how people like, we've got, we've got these huge bears, we've got these moose, and they're all magnificent. But I know people that love porcupine, and I have a whole fan base of antelope. Because antelope usually show up about an inch tall in the back of paintings yeah. in a landscape, and I put their big faces right up there, you know, in front. Um, so that's what I was doing today was deciding what encounter, what size, um, and doing that variety. Imagine the joy for me. It's my job to sit around and remember, <laughs> right? And, and so I get to feel that again. You know, one thing, you just mentioned the word joy. One thing I find particular joy in when it comes to your work is um, reading some of the names of your paintings. And so I wrote a couple down so okay. I could remember them myself because for our listeners, a few examples of the names um, of some of your, your works include things like, at that moment, unplanned as it was, I became a bronc rider. <laughs> and another that I really love is, when I grow up, I'll be a war, a war pony too. Can you tell us a bit about um, naming your work? It's very deliberate. Um, it's respect. It's not only respect for my own time and, and effort, it's also respect for the person who takes their money that they've earned and purchases this piece of art. I am never, no offense to anyone, you're never going to get an untitled 13 from me because they each deserve respect outside of myself. So then once you get to that point, that's when I start on my creative writing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's what's the funniest thing I can say uh-huh. to represent what I was trying to get across. And of course, the one piece you're talking about, um, he it's a, a painting of, of, a, of a native getting thrown off his horse right? <laughs> and his expression and the horse's expression and all that. So that's why, that's what that one is. And the other one was I was driving around Victor, Idaho and in a field, there was a corgi sitting on the back of a horse in a field and no human being around. How? Exactly. <laughs> of all the dogs that should be. Now, I know corgis are, you know, great, great ranch dogs. All, yeah. But I'm telling you, there wasn't a human being to be seen. Uh, it was so fabulous. Oh, I love that. And I took pictures and I stayed there and uh, and then I turned it into a painting. And then I decided that they both needed to be a war corgi and a war pony. And so they wore matching all kinds of attire and so they were they were matched and that's when it became that title which is when I grow up I'll be a war pony too because oh, they were so it. connected. Yeah. That's what I was talking about was the connection between these two species. Yeah. Both of those titles that I just mentioned and then many of the others, um, they they almost strike me as like the opening sentence of a novel. That's what I want. It's exactly what I want. Boy, you caught on. I've never had anybody realize that before. I want, I want you to come in with me. And, and I, I'm sure you've written copy and done all that. And one of the ways to do that is that opening line, you know, come with me on this. Right. 
And that's exactly. The invitation. Yeah. Yeah. Come and into this painting with me. It does strike me as really a gift to whomever, you know, ends up with your painting because it's like you have the whole story of its creation and that moment of inspiration and now you're kind of giving them the gift of the first line of the painting story moving forward right it's respect yeah so recently I read in a Bozeman Daily Chronicle article about you that Uh-oh. there is, or perhaps was, but maybe is, a collection of your prints at a base in Antarctica. Yes. So I'm so <laughs> curious to hear about how that came to be. I mean, that means a, a piece of, you know, your work and a little piece of Yellowstone yes. is now represented on every continent. So talk, talk to us about that Antarctica okay. collection. I'd be happy to do that. Um, because of my jobs in the National Park, I meet people from around the planet because of that job I am collected on every continent in the world which means Yellowstone is collected on every continent and the way the Antarctica thing came it was the greatest story um a couple comes in and they both work at the base and they coordinate artists to come and she said to me we could really use you in Antarctica and then she said the funniest story. She said our last artist that came as a resident artist um, didn't quite understand the assignment and took beautiful black and white photos, but that's all we have. Oh. <laughs> I, I still remember her telling the story. And we started the process to go, my husband and I. And that's kind of, it was like 2008-ish. And then government programs were shut down and we never got to go. But I was going. I, 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 I definitely determined to go. Um, so they bought a whole series that, that now hangs there for color, for uplifting yes you know art is not only of place a a great artist here in our state said to me once everything every artist does is really a self-portrait i that's fascinating if that is true that's probably why every one of my (laughs) every one of my animals looks like they're smiling (laughs) (laughs) and it's true they do (laughs) it's really um (laughs) <laughs> so I hope I'll just say I hope it brought them joy it brings them joy down there um you spoke a little bit about antelope and kind of bringing them from the background to the foreground yeah. and of course your very well-known blue bears are there any other specific creatures that really resonate with you or that you find particular joy in coming across or talk to me about the you know personalities the- of the wildlife <laughs> There isn't anything, anything that lives in that environment that I'm not excited to see. I've even now participated twice in spider exhibitions. Uh, Both of them were at the um, National Museum of Wildlife Art. Um, Boy, did I learn. There was a brand new species of orb spider discovered in Grand Teton. And what they do every Thing matters every little bit matters so that's a fascinating one that I look for spiders now but I love pikas oh yeah charming pikas <laughs> they you mean think about them the little haystacks they um they greet you <laughs> they sure do <laughs> yeah go- google a pika screaming <laughs> um they don't hibernate they stay in their place they're in the present all the time while thinking of the future. I think that's fascinating. Think about that. They're, they're gathering and eating, and they're also fixing up their nest, and they're storing food for the winter all at the same time. So they're there, and they're in the future all the time. They are such a barometer of the health of an ecosystem. You know, they they get... It, it's the way their bodies work. If it gets a little too warm for them, they can't survive. So as climate changes and those um, high spaces are warming up, we can follow that by following the lives of pikas. Yeah, they're and really, it's funny, beavers and pikas both um, are barometers of how an environment is doing. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. 
beavers are another incredibly interesting and important. It. Oh, they're just, there's really oh nothing my gosh. like a beaver. I had so much fun two years ago at, at uh, Coulter Bay. There was a beaver right outside the window that was determined to make a dam at the edge of, the, of um, Coulter Bay. And every few days, the park service had to come and break it up. And every day he came back. And I was, of course, pro pro for the beaver. But um, in the jokes, I would say, and I finally said, as I'm leaving in October, I said, you know he'll win. Because you're not going to continue doing this after October. <laughs> I thought, you just go. You go. We'll find build, his window. Build your dam. Mm-hmm. You go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, little ecosystem engineers uh-huh. that they are. Wonderful. Um, what would be your dream project to work on within the Greater Yellowstone? It's legacy. The fact that um, this, just saying this to you now, I, I can't believe it. I am in the permanent collection. I am the first guest American Indian artist in in. Grand Teton to be in the permanent collection of the Park Service there. That's overwhelming. Um, Forever, forever, I will, you know, if anyone (laughs) remembers me, I will be tied to Yellowstone. My life, my career, everything is completely um, tied to that environment. And then um, I'm currently (laughs) painting a map for Grand Teton, um, it's 3D, it is, oh, I want to say it's six feet by eight feet, it's huge, it's huge. Is that what I t- uh-huh. got That's a peek at? Okay. the other room. Yeah. Yep. Um, to be asked to create the centerpiece of a brand new visitor center in a national park, are you kidding me? Yeah. Really? Can you imagine? Here, here's what I want to tell you, and I want the world to know this. I started, you know, I've worked in both parks. So I start as a maid in both, but uh, I want to say I was like 82. And one of my jobs was to go to the Rockefellers' house. They still, thank God for the Rockefellers, you know, we wouldn't have Grand Teton without them, you know. You know, pause to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll find out how much they did for all of us. But they still had the ranch house. And part of my job was to go inspect it before they arrived, okay? Um, and so that, that was my job. And I had other things to do, too. Go forward 40 years, and I am now doing the centerpiece map of the building, for the building that Rockefeller built and where he started the Snake River Company that bought all the land that created Grand Teton National Park. <laughs> Can you imagine from being the maid in their house to creating the centerpiece of this new visitor center that's going to focus on all the good work that they did? Yeah. Wow. What incredible. I don't want to say bookends because clearly that's not right. where the story be. Beginnings and ends. But, but that is right there. Right. That is, that is an incredible um, milestone, feels like an insignificant word, yeah. but just to be, to have that very right. sort of specific journey. And I'm journey. not done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm really lucky in that I get to write art curriculum for Indian education for all, um, for from the state of Montana, and I get to go in and teach it. And I get to, I, I call myself grandma artist because I get to go anywhere that class wants to go. They get their seven essentials of understanding of Native culture. They get all of that. But when they say things to me like, well, how do you get to be an artist? And then I explain to them, I'm incredibly fortunate that I worked with professional athletes, professional musicians, uh, professionals in the park service. All of it is work. You can't say I can't play the piano because you never practiced, right? I'm, I practice every day. I, if I'm not embarrassed by what I painted two or three years ago, I'm not working hard <laughs> enough. How about that? that? That's what I think. I, you know, I, I should be getting better. We all should be getting better. And working at that all the time, it, you know, there's not a magic moment when it's over, when you're a writer, musician, whatever. People say you're going to retire, like, from what? <laughs> well, I'm not retired ever. <laughs> no, no retirement here. 
Yeah, hard to imagine being able to retire from something so integrated and no, it's everything. Yeah, yeah, it is completely um, between the park, between the art, um, doing my best to represent it. Um, I may not be a an employee or or whatever, but I still take great responsibility in presenting correct information and. Um, Sometimes when there's uh, big stories about something that went down in the park and I know the truth, I will do my best to, to uh, not the park service isn't lying, that's what I, what I mean. If a um, visitor makes a mistake, but it is a, um, it wasn't meant with no malice, I, I will stand up for that visitor, you know, things like, things like that. Yeah, yeah the reality on the ground and what you know we hear about or read about or see little video clips of are not always in perfect alignment and no, I would say rarely no. if ever are in perfect alignment and I still alignment. want those people to you know sometimes people make mistake and the first thing they do is pack up and leave because they're so embarrassed and a couple times I've met those people and I'm like don't go anywhere no one knows who you are you won't do it again <laughs> just <laughs> So um, you do have such a, a close relationship with Yellowstone and Grand Teton, the national parks themselves. Tell us a little bit more about what it means to be an artist in residence in those places. Mm. Uh, for me, it's an absolute dream come true. Um, in Yellowstone, I work with concessionaires. And if people are listening, they don't know what that is. These are people entrusted with the restaurants and the hotels. So um, currently I'm with Santara. So... I've been with two different concessionaires in the park. That's one way you do it. Um, in the Tetons, it's a, a park service program, and it's a Native American program. Um, there's an I consider it a great responsibility, and, and just like the funnest thing ever, you um, you become a barometer, uh, a, a companion on their trip to the visitors. They will. Often people will come and tell me where they're going, go on their trip, and I'm still there when they get back because, you know, I do it an 8 to 10, 12 hour a day, and then they tell me where they've been, what they've done, show me pictures, whatever. You develop close relationships. I know there's people that are listening to this um, that we met that way, and we are 5, 10, 20 years into a friendship, and we met that way with them visiting you know, the park, I, I just happened to be there at an important moment in their life. So there, I mean, that's my job. I mean, I do museums and other other things too, but um, it's absolutely as wonderful as you think it is. How about that? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> no, that is really interesting how you and your work um, are likely such an important and sort of integral part of people's experience in these oh, incredible places. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there's, um, I'm going to completely forget where I first, you know, read about this in depth, but this um, idea that many people have a very specific art trauma from their yes. youth. And that, you know, we are, as children, like, always creating art, always making, we're just very creative, but there comes a point m most people can draw sort of their before and after identity as an artist to a, a moment um, where so they weren't encouraged or where art, you know, was sort of presented to them as less important or where they were um, actively discouraged in some ways mm -hmm. from, from creating art. And I certainly, I'm so, you know, Glad to know that you're out there trying to, I think, undo a lot of that uh, damage I, I for people. I absolutely consciously do that. Um, every lesson that I write for Indian Education for All has an art element in it. We do a lot of talking about how boring the world is if everyone's work looks the same. And so I do a lesson on on um, ledger art and, and certainly look that up. Um, the idea, ledger art is story. And it also, 
I don't want to minimize how fantastic it is. It doesn't have to be three-dimensional. There's all kinds of things that make it perfect for um, a young artist to express themselves. And to do so, you don't have to have mad skills, whatever you think that is, um, to do it. I personally love what people call raw or, or um, uh, folk or what, whatever. There's nothing to me more beautiful than a personal expression of an important moment done in your style. That'll touch me on a level that I think the world uh, level um, than a, a perfectly rendered painting with no soul. You can tell. You can tell when art has soul. Um, and I, I hear that trauma. I, I hear it from students who had somebody come in or an art teacher at some time in their life that said the line was wrong, uh, whatever it was, that's all it took. Or somebody at home saying, that's not important. What are we living for? What's the point of being alive without the arts? It's just drudgery without the arts and the natural world. They are, we wouldn't have a national park without art. That's the whole basis of finding the first, you know, the first national park. They weren't, and none of those congressmen were here. It was the photographs and the paintings. We are completely tied, you know, all of us. And you're, I, I mean this when I say it, and I do say it a lot. If you're coming to visit us, you bring a journal with you. It can be lined. It can be a composition book from the Dollar Tree. I don't care. Bring that, a pencil, some colored pencils, whatever, and stop for a second. Sit at a picnic table and do a little sketch, maybe write a few words, and then move on. Your visit will be so much more meaningful, and nobody has to see it or everybody can see it. It doesn't matter. It's the actual act of making art in the natural world that matters to you personally into your soul so don't let anybody stop you from from doing that so listener do you hear that you have <laughs> a bit of joyful homework which is next time you're in your yellowstone or perhaps next time you're in your own backyard that's right carry um, that thing with you so you've mentioned a few specific names in the course of our conversation but do you have a it could be either or conservation or art kind of hero oh murray maddie murray um she and her husband i know someone out there's gonna know his name was it something with an a we'll have to find it um their time in alaska all alone doing important work there and then um of course then they came to the tetons um i have them there are People alive today doing incredible bear and wolf research in Yellowstone, who I look up to um, art-wise. It's, it's not specific to anyone. It's anyone who is bravely working in their own voice. That I admire more than I can tell you, more than any one specific, because there are great people and great artists out there that can you imagine who I get to work with, you know, as I travel in Indian markets and museum shows. But I know the people that are working from their soul and are being 100% honest with what they're creating, and they're my heroes. Wonderful. And if any of our listeners want to view some of your work in person or perhaps even purchase some of your work, <laughs> where might they find you? You will find me at, I always love saying, www.dghouseart.com. <laughs> 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 and on there, uh, and it is a joke, there's a, uh, there's a section called World Tour. It, and it'll list everywhere I'm going to be. But the reason we called it World Tour is because when we first started calling it that, I went to about four places and they were all within about 30 miles. Uh. So it was, <laughs> it was an inside joke. And in the beginning of my career, we created posters. We recreated famous posters of rock stars, but my picture in it, and then the four locations. 
that I would be. And people used to collect those. Um, so get yourself a giggle and look at the world tour. It's a little bigger than it used to be. <laughs> what started as a joke may now be a bit more accurate. So. <laughs> You've grown into your own joke. But it made me laugh. At the time. That's wonderful. Um, any openings or exhibits coming up that you want folks to know about? Um, absolutely. Um, the program for the artists in residence uh, will start the first week of May um, at Old Faithful, but that it will continue through October, so not just me, but other artists will be coming in and out. Um, the artist program in Grand Teton at Coulter Bay will start in mid-May, and that'll also go uh, to the end of September. And they have, you know, you can Google Guest American Indian Artists. They will have a schedule. Um, you can go to uh, Yellowstone National Park Lodging, and they will ha also um They'll feature the artists that'll be in Yellowstone and where, where they're going to be. Um, and then you go to my website. It'll tell you exactly when I'll be and where I'll be. Um, and actually around the country. Um, I'll be in Indianapolis and L.A. and all over. <laughs> I will. I'll try to think of everywhere I'm going to be. I'm very fortunate. Perfect. It's the true world tour. <laughs> Before we close, is there anything else that you'd like to share or that we didn't cover or that you feel you'd like to say? The main thing I, I really want to get across is the importance of keeping the natural world wild. Um, whatever you can do as, as one person, you can make a difference. That's the most important thing to me. The other thing is you personally, that there's a place for you to come and visit this isn't an exclusive environment we want you to come uh, we want you to have a good time we want you to behave <laughs> <laughs> <Tease it. laughs> um, that no matter what your capabilities are um, there is an adventure for you because the, the real adventure takes place in your soul when you come here so just know you're welcome whoever you are DG House, thank you so much for spending some time with us on this cloudy but beautiful <laughs> afternoon. You are a joy and an oh, inspiration. Thank you. DG, thank you for letting us drop in on your amazing studio. I am sure our listeners will agree that we're all going to be keeping a lookout for that blue bear of yours. And thank you for the gift of inspiration and the profound faith you have in the rest of us to find and follow the artist within. I know that I will be taking a notebook with me next time I head into the outdoors. If anyone is interested in learning more about DG's art, we'll place links to her website and more in the show notes. The Voices of Greater Yellowstone podcast is produced by the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, a nonprofit dedicated to working with all people to protect the lands, waters, and wildlife of this remarkable place, the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. To support the show, consider sharing it with a friend or making a gift to the Greater Yellowstone Coalition on our website. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.